We would like to thank Mazapai, an artisan pizzeria and bakery in Louisville, Kentucky, for letting us use their loft to record this episode. Their service, food, and atmosphere all blew our expectations away. So next time you're driving through the area, we highly recommend you take a lunch break to visit this quaint local spot. I was raised by Christian parents, very seriously dedicated Christian parents. We were the first ones in the pew and the last ones out the door. For our family, church made up the majority of our social life. When my twin brother and I turned 17 years old, something very interesting happened. I, very publicly, decided that I truly and for myself believed that Jesus Christ was actually God and that he wanted to save me from my sin. My brother, on the other hand, he went in the opposite direction. He decided that what we were taught were categorical lies implemented by a system of fear and condemnation. For a long time, I was very staunch and adamant about my revitalized faith. My brother and I didn't really talk much about it. Until a few years ago, I started to see a rift between my faith and the realities of the world that we live in. I entered what many Christians call doubt. If you ask me today whether I am a Christian, I would simply say, I doubt it. Today's episode is tailored specifically for Christians who doubt that what they believe about the universe, God, history, and human existence is actually true. You might not find an organized apologetic in the episode, but we hope to give you a space where those who doubt or don't believe Christianity anymore can articulate their experience. I'm Daniel Lopez, and this is The Exchange Podcast. This is a pretty heavy episode for me already, so let me preface by saying that I have much more to ask than I do to say. So let's uh, let's jump right in. Josh, Alex, I want to start by defining the terms doubt and the term unbelief. And the resource that I used for this was a book entitled In Two Minds, which we'll have in the notes, written by a guy named Os Guinness. It's hard to find this book online, but I think you can find some used versions on Amazon, if I remember correctly. Now, the way that Oskinis defines doubt is this, quote, Doubt is a state of suspension between faith and unbelief. Now, Oskinis differentiates between doubt and unbelief, and he defines unbelief this way, quote, A willful refusal to believe. The first question that I have is, do you guys see a difference between doubt and unbelief? I think the Bible sees a distinction there also. And I think that those definitions you gave are really helpful. Yeah, I think that doubt handled properly is actually a form of expectant faith. It's, an, it's a proper understanding of our incompleteness and of, our, the, of the noahic effects of sin upon our minds. So I think doubt expressed properly is actually faith. I think that doubt can only exist because faith exists. Yeah, yeah. If there is no faith, then there's no potential for doubt to occur. You you guys seem to to agree with Oskinos. Um He says later on in the introduction, he says, doubt is not the opposite of faith, nor is it the same as unbelief, which is what you guys are saying. I continue. Doubt is a state of mind in suspension between faith and unbelief, so that it is neither of them wholly and it is each only partly. I think that where I disagree with Guinness is saying that it is each only partly. Um, I say that because while the two words do describe different states of being, 
I sense that the emotional experience of both are the same. And they're only really the same for the person who is, in our context, a Christian who doubts and a Christian who no longer believes. I, I think the emotional experience is the same. I think the person who has who um, who doesn't believe anymore probably has fewer emotional reactions to it because they're not as perplexed anymore. But they're they're in the same boat as the one who doubts. Unbelief is a settled position. Doubt is not settled. Doubt is something that Christians do, and unbelief within Christianity anyway. Doubt is something that Christians do, and unbelief is something that non-Christians do within the way the Bible talks about them. That's a fair point. I, I think I think one thing that we have to bring up is that in order to consider yourself a Christian, you don't have to have every idea settled in your mind. I think it's okay to be curious. I think it's okay to be asking questions. I think it's okay to uh, doubt certain things and, and, and wait and move through them and expose yourself to them. I don't think you have to have every question answered before you can call yourself a Christian. I think the experience a lot of people who doubt have is that they're seen as a wolf in sheep's clothing. So if you there's certain questions you just can't ask in church. And if you ask too many questions, people start getting suspicious. Um, and they start treating you as if you're a spy. Which to me is so ironic because you'd think, well, the wolf in sheep's clothing wouldn't be asking the questions. They would wait till last minute and then attack. Yeah, which um, is why I think that that's why you have to differentiate between doubt and unbelief. Okay. So if you read the book of Jude, for instance, there's false teachers who are actively refusing to believe what the gospel and are trying to propagate that unbelief in the church. Yeah, right, exactly. And then when you get to the end of the book, uh, Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. And which, which is different than how he says to respond to false teachers. So the false teachers are the ones who are refusing to believe the gospel. Then there's those who are doubt, who doubt, and you respond to the false teachers by saying, "No, get away! I'm pushing you, pushing you out of here." Interesting. The, the the ones who doubt, you have mercy on them. You you have compassion on them because you're just as susceptible towards doubt as they are. Yeah. Which is why I say that unbelief is something unbelievers do, or non Christians do, and doubt is something that Christians do. Here's a question for you guys. And this might get a little bit, I know for me it would be a very intimate thing to answer, but have you or do you currently struggle with what you believe? Yes. Please speak freely. <laughs> Don't um, really just speak freely here. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think, I think a lot of the times we think that our minds are settled and that our actions do not um, follow our thinking. And I think when our actions do not follow our thinking, that is a sign of doubt too. Or of unsettledness. So I can believe that God has a plan for every aspect of my life. But when something bad happens to me, I can react in a way as though that that proposition was not true. Well, God says that he's good, but is he really? That's an experience of doubt, I would say. There's a disconnect in faith because faith always expresses itself in what you're doing. Yeah, I've definitely had those types of experiences. But I think for me, it's always started out emotionally. And then I'll garnish it with um, with propositional sarcasm. It used to be encapsulated in moment in moments of time throughout my week when this started while I was in college. 
but now it's it's really a daily thing for me now. I am I'm, I'm in a consistent state of doubt, and I would even dare say unbelief, because there are days when I don't believe something to be true, and then there are days where it's easy for me to say, oh, I yeah, I do believe that. But I think in in saying that on a day to day basis, it can change proves that it's not unbelief. Because unbelief is, a, in my opinion, unbelief is a settled proposition. But isn't believing something also a settled proposition then? Like, there's this weird in-between where I'm like... And that's doubt. Okay, that's fair. Now, I, I think that I would resonate with what Daniel's saying totally. I remember when I was in college uh, experiencing significant doubts um, and battles of doubts. I, I even had a class on apologetics and I put in my review of the class, <laughs> my college class on apologetics, but in the review of the class that I believed in God less after the class than when I entered the class. <laughs> and Josh yeah. is the type of student that if you're a teacher, you fear his review. No, I hope not. I hope that is not true. I got to a point where, where I only feel comfortable saying that I believe in my faith emotionally, but not categorically. And then other times I say, well, I believe in my faith categorically, but not emotionally. I feel like that's those are the two different types of days that I have. I think in my experience, uh, after college was over, even like the first year um, of me in seminary and marriage, um, I was experiencing a lot of doubts to where, like I would tell my wife, like, yeah, I don't know if I believe what we're talking about in church until we get to like the fifth or sixth song <laughs> and then like okay now it's kind of worked in my heart and yeah I, i'm pretty sure that i do believe this but to where intellectually i couldn't wrap my mind around certain propositional things and yeah i i think that that's something that for probably three years i went through significant significantly i don't i don't experience it as much anymore uh every once in a while i do but i think i know how to combat it better today than i did then and I, and I think scripturally speaking, asking the question, do I believe this? And then being courageous enough to wrestle with the true answer to that question is one of the healthiest things that a Christian can do for his faith. That's laid out in the New Testament. And I had the strangest feeling Your world's not all it seemed So tired of misconceiving What else is good be. I don't even know if I believe. I don't even know if I believe. I don't even know if I believe everything you're trying to say to me. Wrestling and asking questions and engaging with these topics is what it means to exercise faith in real life. And I think false assurity is not a sign of faith it's a sign of pride that that so i i think ask your questions wrestle through these things talk to your pastors talk to your leaders talk to your peers no question really should be off limits and let's have a discussion let's have an exchange jude would say have mercy on the one who doubts and my primary disposition yeah. towards someone who's doubting needs to be one of mercy not one of judgment not one of condemnation but mercy and, and not and not pity not pity like oh i wish you were like me mercy as in make make room for for these questions and help and 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 also submit yourself to what they're saying in a in a honest engaging way uh give grace to them and then also make make room in your heart to receive grace 
in those questions. One way, one way that Christians can be merciful is introduce people to the the prayer of the man in Mark nine. I believe, help my unbelief. Yeah. I, that, that's the prayer of every Christian, I think, or it should be anyway. Absolutely. I believe, help my unbelief. Uh, faith is First Corinthians thirteen would tell us that faith is not perfected until I, heaven. I like that you brought that up because I think the frustration that I've personally had is. I prayed for a long time, I believed, but held my unbelief, and then realized that I was never going to get over it. And so, to me, it was annoying to have to pray that, knowing full well I would wake up in four or five days and be in the same situation. And now it's almost a daily thing where, to me, helping my unbelief, the cure would be, hey, just take this away. Like, why can't I just believe it? Like a child. And Ju- or James talks about the trying of your faith that works patience. So it produces patience, and and patience produces perfection. That that uh, when I experience circumstances uh, that seem to go against what I believe, my faith may feel like it's being torn down. But Jude or James would say, no, actually, it's it's testing it and proving your faith. That as you experience these things, and you may not feel like it in the moment. You may feel like everything that I know and think is being just ripped out of my hands. I mean, hands. it sucks because you can't even, like, honestly participate in church things anymore. You don't feel comfortable praying. You don't feel comfortable singing it's because you're like, why? I'm lying. I don't believe There's that There's a difference right between doubt and hypocrisy, though. That someone who doubts uh, is willing to say, help my unbelief. A hypocrite is an unbeliever. A doubter is one seeking a more perfect faith. That, that I can sing the songs crown him the lord of life who triumphed over the grave and rose victorious through the strife for those he came to save I, I can sing those lyrics and not fully believe them but know that i'm singing them from a heart that says i believe god help my unbelief that there's a suspension like you mentioned there's a gap god fill that gap with faith because i'm unable to produce it in myself i do think it's okay to be honest with where you're at in the moment too you could be spending the whole worship period of the, of the service praying or being frustrated with the fact that you're not currently believing this. That's okay. I think, I think, I don't think anybody, well, I shouldn't say I don't think anybody, I personally would not recommend you just go through the motions. Now, if you can sing in the way Josh is saying, sing it, I think that's great, but I would not recommend just doing things to go through the motions. I think be honest asking questions and then being courageous enough to deal with the with the true answers to those questions is one of the healthiest things you can do for your faith as a Christian. What would you guys say to someone who was a Christian and is no longer a Christian? I.e. they 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 can very clearly articulate to you Christian doctrine theology whatever fill in the blank. They can also very clearly articulate to you I don't believe that. I'm not a Christian. Un- one, an unbeneficial thing to do would be to assume that they don't understand it. So you come in there like, hey, you may have heard this explained before, but you haven't heard me explain it. Interesting. So here, here it goes. I'm going to explain it, and you're going to finally see the light. At that point, those people need something more than intellectual understanding. They need love. They need friendship. They need prayer. But now and it sounds like you're pitying. I'm not saying, yeah, I'm not saying pitiful. I'm saying be their friend. I'm saying hang out with them. I'm saying have dinner with them. I'm saying do life with them, talk with them, hear their ideas, converse with them, be honest with them. Don't look at them as a project. I'm saying look at them as a friend, as 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 someone you love. Hebrews 6 is one of the, the strongest texts in the Bible about apostasy. 
that uh, it, it actually says that it is impossible to restore again unto salvation those who once tasted of the heavenly gifts but have since fallen away. But then you have countless stories of people who left the faith and then came back. That text serves as a warning of something that can truly happen. And for all those who are truly Christians, when they read that, their response to that is to run as far as they can from unbelief, or at least to respond in a way that says, I don't want that to happen to me. Uh, I, I had a friend who uh, described reading that text and and wrestling because he, he wanted to embrace a certain lifestyle, but he reads that text and he says, if I do that, this will be true of me and I, I cannot let that happen. I have to cling to my faith. No matter how weak it seems, I have to cling to that because I know that this is true, which is a form of faith. I would say that he's still experiencing doubt, not unbelief in that moment. So what would you what would you say to someone who says, I used to be a Christian, I'm no longer a Christian? I'd listen. What's that? I'd listen. I, I do a lot of listening, a lot of listening, and I would preach the gospel to them. The same as I would do to someone who doubts or someone who's already a Christian. I think the gospel is the answer to any uh, any uh, want of faith that we experience. Because the gospel is actually the power of God unto salvation. Um, that And the word of God itself evokes faith, according to Hebrews 10, that um, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That it's, it's a, a means of cultivating faith is the Bible itself. I, there's, a, there's another layer to this that we slightly touched on, but... There's a lot of emotional reasons for why people don't believe. And I know that I've struggled with that. There, Yeah, there's a categorical way to understand the way that salvation from sin works and how God interacts with people on that. It's called Calvinism. And Calvinism is um, basically saying um, from the narrative of Scripture that God chooses people throughout the story. And that God saves the people who he chooses. And I know for me personally, I've had a very personal experience where I've, where I've struggled and I've said, wow, that makes sense with the story of the Bible. That's been happening since Genesis. I mean, start with Adam, then Abel, then Abraham. God's always choosing people and then, let, and then letting other people turn to their own devices. And so I've said, I'd ra- like, I've, I've actually said this to someone who, who, they, they were probably the first person who asked the emotional questions instead of the propositional questions. So when I when I told them about my doubting, instead of saying, well, the Bible says this about that, they said, okay, so why do you feel that way? How, when did you start feeling that way? What was going on at that time? And there was that, I'd, I've never had someone walk with me through that emotionally. This is probably a couple months ago now. And I remember telling them, uh, there's someone I love so much, a lot. And I remember saying, I'd rather go to hell with that person forever than go to heaven without them. And that's the first time I've ever said that. And I didn't know that that was at the root or underlining that that was the motivating driving factor. It wasn't propositional. It wasn't doctrinal. Um those were almost like the things I was grabbing at to explain that emotionally, if this is true, I would rather suffer the judgment of God if he's not going to save someone that I love. So like that, to me, at least personally, now I'm starting to try to walk through that. And it's trying to, to develop the emotional language to talk about that and to, to interact with other people on that. And I've, and I've realized that 
a lot of people have that experience, whether it's doubt or whether they don't believe anymore, that it's emotional. And it's not just that instance. Some people say, well, God took this away from me. Well, God let this bad thing happen in my life. And I don't know. I mean, yeah, there are people who propositionally doubt, but there, I think there's a whole, I don't know, it, marketing language isn't good all the time, but I think there's a whole market of people who doubt and don't believe of that it's just emotional. And I think that, at least in my experience, the church in the States is not doesn't have a space for that, doesn't have uh, a language or, or a way to address that. Would you, how would you guys, what do you guys think about that? about that kind of Yeah, angle. I think that we don't have a big enough category for experience and emotions within our faith. That experience and emotions exist within our faith and in our doubts. And I think that the Bible addressed us addressed us holistically as as individuals, both intellectually and emotionally. But I think that a lot of times Christians are afraid to address the emotional side of their faith. And I would also say that the, that emotional angst that you feel it reminds me a lot of the beginning of Romans 9, that Paul says, I would rather suffer condemnation than know that Israel is going to be judged by God. Uh, I, w- I would rather go to hell and all of them go to heaven. <laughs> yeah, I remember that text. The only yeah. thing that the only reason the only reason that I that I couldn't work through that text is because Paul still stays in. He doesn't then say, so then I'm going to go be with them. Because I can't. And I think that that's the tension of doubt and unbelief. Okay. He refuses to forsake God because he knows the consequences of unbelief. And he knows that he knows that no matter what it is that he's experiencing, there's something that's true. There's a reality that's true that God has come to save sinners and he's one of them. But I, I would say that, that that person that walked you through that did you a service. And, and, and I think that's an, an approach that I think is important. We shouldn't assume we know how this person across from me who's experiencing doubt got derailed. And we shouldn't assume that we know how to get them back on the track. We should let them walk. Up. We, should, we should enter into their worldview, enter into their life, and let them show us how they came to this. And then if we can be of assistance, be of assistance. But I think we too quickly assume that we know and we attack it and the conversation doesn't go anywhere because the person says, well, this person clearly doesn't know what I'm actually talking about. So, And I think that that's an expression of doubt also. The, the, the question of why is a question of doubt. If, if I'm still asking why, why God, why would you do this? That's still operating within the idea that God exists that he is who he's revealed himself to be. I'm what I'm saying is, given who you've revealed yourself to be, why? And I think that that's that's the question that Job asks, and he's called he's he's uh, he's rebuked for fi- for finding fault with God. And and the the book of Job is is a story about a man who suffers deeper than anyone but Jesus Christ ever has suffered, as far as we know. And he asks the question, why? Uh, he experiences doubt in his suffering, and God's response to that is complex <laughs> we don't necessarily have time to get into but um yeah basically god's god's response to that is if you knew what i knew then you would not be asking that question the existence of the question why and the existence of doubt indicate that there's a wrestling within a christian faith that's happening once you stop asking the question why god now you all of a sudden you've entered into a state of unbelief, I think, where you're choosing to not wrestle within the ring of Christianity anymore. I've now left the ring and I've stopped fighting. 
There, there's so much more left to explore here. I don't think that we represented everyone who doubts or how they doubt. Obviously, that may just be impossible with all the different types of people and their background and their cultures. If you're really struggling with that, I want you to know that I don't think that any one of us would take a crusade approach and uh, be angry or, or try to convert you. I don't think that that's the motivation of... That may be the experience you may have had in your church or in your family, but I want you to know that there are people out there who are willing to have a conversation as a conversation and not as, as a, a remedy or a therapy. I don't want you to feel lonely in your doubt. Talk to people around you. Don't, don't be afraid of that. People are, don't like to talk about that because they think they feel alone, like, well, I'm the only one who thinks this. And often when you have conversations with other people, you realize, oh, actually other, a lot of other people doubt or, or don't believe things. Doubt loves to grow in isolation. Faith grows in community. That is, as we walk in the light, uh, we experience rejuvenated faith. And that's a good thing. Seek out people who show mercy. But that, that's an important thing because that's the primary thing that you need. Thank you for listening to our conversation on the Exchange Podcast. We work hard to make each one of these episodes engaging and thought-provoking. And now it's your turn. Do you have any thoughts about today's episode? We'd love for you to join the Exchange online by following us on Facebook and Twitter. Links are in the show description. And while you're at it, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. One more thing. We've received all of our music for Season 2 from HookSounds.com. There are some great tracks and artists available on that site. If you're looking for music for an upcoming project, we highly recommend you go with them. Thanks again for listening, and from all of us here at The Exchange Podcast, I'd like to wish you a good night and good luck.